Hello, and welcome to the Zeal Interestings podcast. My name is Trevor Yerish, and I have a guest who is uh, quickly becoming not a guest, Mr. Marcus Blankenship of MarcusBlankenship.com. How are you doing this morning, Marcus? Good, Trevor. I guess if you know where the coffee cups are, you're not a guest anymore, right? <laughs> Especially if you have your own coffee cup. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Today, we're going to be discussing playbooks and the ins and outs of creating a playbook as well as, and maybe more importantly, why a playbook is even needed and what the reasons for having a playbook, whether you are a consulting company like ourselves, both Marcus and Zeal, we are both consulting companies, as well as having a playbook for internal projects, things that your company builds, and if you don't have one, how to get started. So we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and jump in and start this conversation. Marcus, you were mentioning some questions you had around the nature of having a playbook and why. Yeah, I've been looking at the Zeal playbook, which more on that later, but it got me thinking that so many companies I talk to make plans. A lot of people make projections, but it's pretty rare that I talk to companies, whether they're SaaS or enterprise or other consulting companies that have a playbook. And I, it just got me thinking, you know, when I think about a playbook, I think about watching the coach on the sidelines of a, you know, an NFL game or something. And he's got this clipboard that's like really, like he's guarding it, right? Like this is a secret thing. It's like the secret sauce. And it has all the plays that the team can run. And it seems like it's very strategic. It's thought through. The team practices the plays, I'm sure, I guess. I'm not really a sports guy, but <laughs> I hope they do. And the playbook seems like it's this central piece. So how does that translate to a software company having a playbook? Why do you think it's important? Why was it important for Zeal to have a playbook? Well, I'm going to go ahead and keep that sports metaphor going just a little bit longer. And again, for those who are not sports fans, this will still make sense and still apply. But that playbook that they're holding, and, and actually these days, I don't know if you've watched recently, it's not really a playbook anymore. They've got this really big laminated thing that has all these colors and boxes and tiny words and they're flipping it and holding really? it. Really? It's crazy. And they're calling plays and plays are no longer... And this is something that, again, we can learn a lot from because this is what they do, which is specialize in individual scenarios, right? And these plays are no longer run this play. Now what they are is we have different sets and we can run different formations out of different sets and we can run different routes out of each set. So playbooks, the, their playbooks are now exploded into components and they can piece different components together for different scenarios. And so I bring that up because we can learn a lot from how they approach a game and in how we approach projects. And just like you were mentioning, yes, practice is is key. And how we practice is we do thought experiments and we have discussion about what has happened, retrospectives about things that did happen. And we talk about how they could have gone better. What plays, if you will, would we have run in retrospect? What, would, what may have worked better than what we did? And that's how we improve on our plays. But just, you know, talking to the idea of why to have one, it's really about 
the thought that goes into the scenarios before they happen. And the idea of thinking through different scenarios and having that forethought. What's that quote? It's not the plan. It's the planning. Uh, yeah. Uh, what is it? Planning is uh, the, the, you know, plans are useless, but planning is invaluable. Something like that. Yeah. And it's like, it's a famous general and we're going to get chastised for not knowing. Uh, I know. Exactly. Please write us in and correct us. Please do. Yes. It's a great quote and it's totally true. And then there's another quote which talks about plans, which is uh, fixed plans. Like when you go and you plan out how everything's going to happen and then you try and execute that plan. And this was a Mike Tyson quote, which is everyone has a plan until they get hit in the face. (laughs) Right. And I think that's fantastic because that really speaks a lot to how we did, how software and just in general project projects were done for a long time, which is this is why Waterfall got a bad rap is because we would create these extravagant plans from beginning, starting execution through delivery of final product. And we just assume that we're going to nail everything. It's going to turn out perfect. And then we put that into action. And then we're angry when it costs more and takes longer, right? And then gets delayed and shelved. And we're like, how could this possibly happen? We had such a great plan. And this is, I think, what opened the door for Agile was Agile development and an Agile approach to project management. What Agile was really trying to to do was look at this notion of planning, doing all this upfront planning. We know this doesn't work because reality doesn't go according to plan. So what could we do that's different than this form of planning, but that still leads to, that, that will lead us to a good outcome? The Agile Manifesto came out of those a lot of those discussions. And then, you know, Extreme Programming came out with Extreme Programming, which gave us a lot of insight into a lot of different ways to approach managing a project and as well as creating better conversations between the different parties that are involved in a project. But I think that there's a new evolution and it's not so new, but it really is, I think, starting to cement into something that is more widely utilized. And that is this notion of the playbook. And what a playbook is, again, going back to the sports analogy, when a team takes a field, they have their first four plays, maybe, planned. Like their plan goes four plays deep into the game. They know the first four plays that they're going to run and that's all they've got planned. And then they have this playbook and the playbook is suited to basically what, what, what the playbook is there for is it's saying, hey, we've thought of all these different scenarios, third and long, fourth down, depending on what side of the field we're on. We have all these different scenarios. And when we run into a scenario, we have plays that we've talked about that we will run when we run into that scenario. And our team understands how to execute those plays in that scenario because we've discussed it uh, ahead of time. What's great about that is I think that planning is definitely still critical. We can definitely have a, a game plan, a plan as we enter into a project, which is this is how we'd like to see it all go down. And this is absolutely how we're going to start. We're going to prescribe the start. Once we get started, we need to have more componentized, modularized plays, essentially, that we can utilize based on the scenario that comes up, based on what we face. 
I just talked a lot, and, and I'd love to open the floor for you and some reflection on on some of that or, or uh, counterpoints if you if you have some. Oh, it seems fascinating. In fact, the the key attribute here, imagining I've got this playbook. And some of them are for offense and some are for defense and some were great. You know, they're probably prioritized by goal and by the, the current state of the field. So a good coach has to be able to observe the state of the field and read what the other team is doing, essentially. Where are they strong? Where are they weak? Where are the holes? And then it seems like they'll pick a play based on his team's goals or her team's goals and the opponent's formation and kind of the state of everything. Are you on the one yard line or are you on the 99th yard line, right? To butcher more analogies. So it seems like being a keen observer of the game to know where you are and what is a what are the options that would work here are really important. And yet I notice and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here. I have the impression that it's either the coach or oftentimes it's someone on the sidelines, I feel like, who's, quote, calling the plays. Although I'm sure quarterbacks and other key members of the leadership staff do it from the field as well. They have influence, and there's only a handful of quarterbacks that are in a position to be able to call the plays on the field or override a play because they've earned that respect over time and shown that they can make that call. I actually love that. And and I think like we, especially here at Zeal, we really celebrate creating a playbook where, again, we know the scenarios. We know the different ways to approach solving these scenarios, the plays that we've created. And we really want to empower everybody on the team to be able to call the play at any point in time, because we've discussed these things and we have a, we have this playbook to address these things. I want to put you on the spot a little bit, Marcus, which sounds fun and amazing. And and it's uh, play along with it because I there's there's some fruit at the end of it, I think. Do you have a playbook at marcusblankenship.com that you run with each client? Hmm, that's a good question. I have some standard plays. Uh, I would not say it is codified into a complete playbook, but in my head, if somebody says hey, I'm having problems with X. I go, okay, what are my go-to resources, approaches, or positions for helping someone who has problem X? Uh, but but I haven't written it down. I'm just so being honest here. Say. Here's what I'll say. Okay, yes. all right. I, I expected that answer because that's probably the right answer in your scenario. And the reason is you are the coach and you're a one-man team, right? And when people hire you, they hire you to come in and be the coach, and you're not supposed to really bring, you're going to not overlay some, you know, synthetic playbook onto their, you're helping them figure out what their playbook is. What's interesting, though, is as soon as you grow beyond one person, beyond the coach, right? Now you need a playbook because you need a uniform way of solving problems in a scenario. And not everyone on the team has your experience. And the reason why you don't need a playbook is because you have experience, practical experience. So when a scenario comes up, you actually just 
run a play because you've seen that scenario so many times and you know exactly what you do in that situation. You already know that stuff. So you don't need to have that. Now, if you had a whole team, which you have had in the past, you know, in, in different organizations that you've, you've owned and run, you need to extract that information to empower your team and to unify and make sure that you have a unified approach when you're solving problems and, and working on projects. And we did have a playbook at Creo. now that I'm remembering it. Now, the interesting thing here, as we talk about it, is I'm going to push back on you in a little bit here and say, I actually think that I could benefit, even though I'm a one-man show, from a playbook, because when you are both the player and the coach, and you have not sat down and decided in advance how you'll act or what advice you'll give in certain situations, it is easy for the pressure of the game to make you forget some of the lessons that you've learned in the past. And it can be hard to incorporate new lessons and learnings from outside resources into your standard way you play the game. Because when the timer is on in the game and you're down to the final seconds, you better have muscle memory because you're not going to think very well. Like most of us don't think well under pressure. So I actually think a playbook just for me would allow me to be more intentional about my work. I would totally agree. And at the same time, you know, me bringing this up, putting, putting you on the spot wasn't to create a moment of discomfort for you, even though maybe it did. It was really just to look at it, look at the reason why, and you know, there's, there's a reason why you don't have a playbook right now. And there's also an opportunity in having one, even as a one man show, right? And what's interesting about that is that, you know, you have, all this experience, which means, which leads you to be able to execute when you run into a scenario. At the same time, you are, like you said, it's, it's muscle memory. It's the idea that you actually maybe have done this better before. You, you actually have come into this scenario a number of times and maybe you've nailed it a couple of times. Really nailed it. And so the reflection on what went well, what worked, and then how do we codify that into something that's repeatable? And that's all a playbook is. All it is, is codified experience so that you can repeat success. That's it. That's the whole thing. Sometimes we get lucky, but don't depend on it. And if you do once, don't depend on remembering or being able to sort of in the moment break down your last luck factors and repeat them. I, I love that. It's codified experience. Well, but let me turn the turn things just slightly to the left. Let's let me pivot here just for a second. Do it. Because it seems like one of the keys to this is practice. Now, most development teams that I have run, been a part of, whatever, from corporate and enterprise to my own to helping other people, those teams are always, quote, on the field. They're always playing with the countdown timer going. There is always a score on the scoreboard and they're always trying to win. That is, it's never feels like practice mode for most teams. It always feels like a live game, which brings a lot of pressure. So how can we start creating a place for people to practice? Mm. That's a great question. And I think, honestly, I think this is, the single greatest contribution of agile practices that I could point out, which is the retrospective. It's the moment of reflection. It's the point of reflection, right? And so 
it's a moment where you've taken a lot of action and you pause, you take a breath and you look back and you say, how'd that go? Some things went really good. Some things didn't go really good. What could we do to improve it? And then you create an action list and then you take those actions moving forward. So it's that moment where you pause, you breathe. It's a timeout, right? It's a halftime. And doesn't mean the game has is over yet, but it's a moment of reflection to say what's been working, what's not working. We know this isn't working. We need to fix this. So, and again, I keep using a sports analogy. It's yes, I am a sports fan, but at the same time, there's so much to be learned about how to proceed and how to really serve and get through these these big, hard, hairy technical problems that we're doing by these real simplistic sports analogies and approaches because their scenarios are very simple comparatively to the, the big things that we're dealing with. But because they're simple, what they've focused their energy on is refining their approach, refining their technique, refining how they look at the game, how they approach scenarios because they know that that's where the magic is knowing exactly where we are how much time's left all of that piece of it and that's honestly what i think we can overlook occasionally is those small details those are the things that that create perspective in the moment knowing how long we've been at it how long we have left or how much budget we have, how much burn we've had, you know, or what our velocity's been, what it looks like currently, you know, like these are all of those details that we have that are sort of our dashboard for making decisions. But if we take them and we have this way to formulate them into creating a current scenario, we can run a play for that scenario. Really, it's about constantly calibrating expectation. I love the timeout and the halftime analogy because I think that's perfect for a retrospective. And I'm sure I've never, I mean, I've played a few sports, very few where we had a locker room, but I'll bet they have a structured way at any given sport event at the halftime, when they go into the locker room, it's really clear what they're going to do. There probably isn't a lot of walking around. Hey, what are we doing with our half hour? No, they, it, it is work. It is a different kind of work, but if you're focused on winning, then the, I'm sure the coach or whoever leads that is immediately like, okay, remember, we're going to do X and Y and Z over the next 30 minutes to get as much out of it as we can. It probably is not sitting around eating bonbons and watching Oprah, right? <laughs> That's, this, it's, is, this is mostly true. <laughs> it's, it's, well, I, I bet it's real work because then they come back out on the field and they play more. So, yeah. you know, in our last few minutes here, what do you see when you started the Zeal playbook? What were some of the first plays that you realized we had experience? We've done that multiple times. We see a good way to do it. I want to codify this to pass it along so that all the team members know how to run the play. What were some of the first plays you put in there? Well, first, I'd like to honor one of our best inspirations early on in Zeal for Playbook, and that was ThoughtBot, actually. They were probably one of the, uh, I don't want to say first because I don't totally know it. They were one of the first I came across in our industry that really did it in this type of a fashion where they really were trying to understand 
it from this point of view, right? And so we learned a lot from how they were approaching solving this type of problem. And then we also were very lucky to be positioned where we were and have access to people like Kent Beck at the time, Ryan Bates, and some of these other people that were really great coaches, people who've put a lot of thought into some of these areas and approaches. And honestly, I think, you know, we just, we have a really amazing, thoughtful team that has a lot of experience on different teams working in different projects. And that's also, I think, a strength of a consultancy is that we, you, any consultancy, we don't just see one company and one Pro, or one project or stream of projects in one team. We see lots of different companies, lots of different approaches, lots of different configurations. And so we can sort of over time curate the things that we see that work best to reach outcomes and reach goals. And uh, also on the flip side of that, avert or at least mitigate risk and mitigate liability, right? And so what we do is through our retrospectives, as well as through lots of just focused conversations on the topics, we will pull sort of that collective experience and wisdom from the team and try and bottle it and say, in this scenario, how can we best solve for this type of problem with these outcomes? And typically our primary outcomes are, how can we make sure that there's transparency? How do we recalibrate expectation? right now in the moment ongoing? And then how can we move in the direction towards the real outcomes? So we're always trying to revisit the actual real outcomes as opposed to this week's outcomes or this iteration's outcomes, right? And that allows us to put things in perspective and it helps us help our clients put things in perspective because they get caught up in iterations and cycles and sort of lose track of why we're doing this, you know, some of the bigger picture stuff. And that's where, as we recalibrate expectation of what's possible based on budget, time, team configurations, all of these types of things, based on what's possible, here's where we're at, here's where we need to be based on reflection on those big goals. And now that we are all on the same page, here are some play, here's a play we can run that will, will help us move in that direction and mitigate the risk, right? So we're trying to always balance that, mitigating risk and, and executing on outcomes. And you really have to look at both of them constantly because if you take your eye off of one, you're going to be moving the ball down the field but your burn rate might be way too high. And so you're not mitigating your risk. You're not looking at, are we actually going to be able to reach the outcomes? I, I heard a lot of value-based statements in their transparency, mitigating risk, focusing on the big picture. And, and I, I have a feeling that if you're listening and you don't have a playbook, that starting to make a list of the things that have worked for you and the values that you ascribe to uh, or that, that you aspire to even might be a good way to start thinking about what should go in the playbook. It's hard to give your team a set of values and say, believe in these. This is what we believe in. Oh, I take that back. It's easy to do that. It's just not very effective. <laughs> right. It's actually effective, though, to create a set of plays which support values, like transparency. We're going to talk about the budget, something that many companies pretend they don't have. We're going to talk about money or time or problems up front. 
if our value is transparency and safety. We can put in the playbook the way to have these conversations, tips to do it, when to do it, things like that, without having to be as overt about we value transparency. No, the playbook really illustrates scenarios that value transparency that even if the individual contributors contributors aren't sure that how transparent they want to be, they can just take a play or you can call a play from the playbook and everyone will know what we're doing and why. Awesome. That's totally awesome. We also will do these retrospectives. So we have retrospectives that we do on a regular basis with clients on projects in the moment. Then we'll also do sort of more meta retrospectives in progress. We don't do, I mean, like postmortems, I think are too late. That's a one of the most inherent problems I think Waterfall has is that it waits till the end to reflect. And so what we do with these meta, these meta retrospectives is we look at how a project's going overall, what's going right, what's not going right. And we try to extract principles out of those things. That's a big one too, is, is not just how can we fix what's happening right now in this project and what plays are we going to run and here's where we're at and getting perspective. But then looking at it sort of from a bigger picture and saying, what can we learn from how this has transpired up to this point that we can actually extract into something bigger, more important as like a principle. And that's something that I would love to talk about in our next discussion. Trevor, if people want to write you or write to the show and ask questions about how to get started with a playbook or or maybe share their experiences creating a playbook, uh, where would they write to? They can write to me, which is Trevor with an E-R, T-R-E-V-E-R, at codingzeal, C-O-D-I-N-G-Z-E-A-L.com. And I would love to have those discussions. And also in the show notes, we'll have a link to a survey that really I think is, is, is a great way to sort of take a snapshot of where you're at with some of these things. And uh, at the end, we'll allow you to even schedule something potentially with uh, one of our team members to, to have a deeper discussion. Wow. And I know that you know, I know I don't know if I'm supposed to say this yet, but you are getting ready to release something really special. But I, I don't think we should say it quite yet. We'll let's let's save it for next time. <laughs> yes, but <please. laughs> it is going to be something really special. Most companies don't reveal the secret sauce. Most coaches don't reveal their playbook. I think you're doing something really inspiring here, and uh, I look forward to being able to tell the audience about it. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Marcus. It's been awesome. I look forward to our next podcast and conversation where we're going to dig a little bit more into some of those principles, those extracted principles and the sort of meta of higher level running of a project. Have an awesome day. Thank you all for listening and be sure to check the show notes for those links. I really, really hope that at some point we we get a chance to have a conversation about your company, your project, uh, whatever it is that you're working on. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Have an awesome day. Thank you.